I loved what Pastor Dave said about Michelle, that she radiates Jesus' light. And that is so true. And that's the difference that Jesus makes in a life. He makes us shine with a light that is beyond this world. And I love it that he said that, especially because that's the theme of our Sunday. That was the theme of our summer jam camp. And it's so nice to see everybody here with the purple t-shirts. Hi, kids. So good to have you here. And our amazing volunteers and leaders. So great to have them all. Families, thank you for bringing your kids to this church so that they can know that Jesus is the light of the world. My name's Bronwyn. I'm the Family Ministries pastor here. And it was absolutely my joy to be part of Summer Jam this last week. Kids, I heard you in the back office when you were shouting earlier. Just like we said, we want everybody in the whole church to hear it. So I want us to say again one more time, what was the theme of our camp? What did we say all the time? Shine Jesus' light, exactly. So thank you, church, for supporting Summer Jam. Here are some of the numbers of what happened at Summer Jam. You can see them on the screen. 85 campers, 38 volunteers, two weeks, dozens of snacks. Thank you, though, for those who brought them in. 14 stories from the space stories to the Bible stories. Nine crafts. Thank you for those who helped design the crafts, including Judith. 15 games, and maybe more than that, hundreds of giggles, one wiggly tooth out, and when it came out, he came running into the church, look, look, and we could see it immediately. And many first prayers to ask Jesus into their life, and lots of new friendships made. So that's the beauty of Summer Jam Camp. Um, every year, we also have a missions project at Summer Jam to help kids learn that they can give generously to God's family around the world. And this year we wanted to partner with the bigger church and support the Zambia Fence Project for Project Samuel. As you can see, fences have helped kids and crops to grow. And so we had a nice target of $300. Well, we exceeded that target by day three. So we said to the kids, we don't want to set another target because you did so well, but bring what you can and guess what the final number was. Take a look on the screen. $1,015.20. And that was by lemonade stands and chores and doing extra activities and emptying piggy banks and all kinds of things. So thank you. And also, kids raising awareness amongst the grown-ups in their lives. There is so much that can be done when we work together. Jesus' light shines brighter when we work together. And this Sunday, we're all together, all the generations, and God can do amazing things through this stellar bunch. You notice we're in our spaceship. We have been soaring through time and history all week. And here's a little recap of what we learned. First of all, Again, we learned that when life is dark or people are not getting along, when good things happen, when sad things happen, when people need help, we need to shine Jesus' light. Exactly. We learned first about the light that shone in baby Jesus and all around him. Angels from heaven shone, a star in the sky, people from east and west came together. The next slide, please. High and low. 
People came together and showed that Jesus was the light of the world, even before he did anything. I think we have a picture of baby Jesus we can put on the screen. That's it. Thank you. And Jesus is the light, not because of his good deeds. He's the light because he's the Son of God. The good deeds flow from the presence of God. When Jesus grew up, he transformed lives, and we can have the next slide, like Zacchaeus, who stopped being greedy and became generous. Jesus helped people inside, and he changed the world outside. And so many people believed that Jesus was the one who would save them. So when he rode a donkey into Jerusalem, next slide, they all shouted, Hosanna. And what does Hosanna mean? Save us, exactly. And they were crying to Jesus to save them. What did they want to be saved from? Anybody remember? Yes? Two things. From the Roman rulers who were controlling and cruel and who took their money. And second thing, from the Jewish religious leaders who were bossy and judgmental and made strict laws about how to please God and you won't please God if you don't do these things. So people couldn't stand the pressure from both sides. Jesus was kind though. Jesus was a contrast. Jesus was powerful and generous and helpful. So that's why they shouted, save us. But they didn't know that to save them, Jesus had to die. To stop the controlling, bossy, fearful, hateful, greedy powers of darkness that rule the world. Jesus had to die to bring the pain and the sin into himself. And he took it to the cross. And many people hid and many people cried and many people were terrified as Jesus was crucified. But he called out, Father, forgive them. He cared for his mother. He cared for others. Even on the cross, Jesus shone light. And so then, the sun went dark. The lights of the sky went off. And Jesus lay in the grave for three days and three nights. But then the light rose again to eternal life, and Jesus brought eternity into now. When he went back to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit to fill the believers, and it shone like fire on their heads. And then they started spreading the good news of Jesus to other people. What's another word for good news? Anybody know? Yes? Gospel. Gospel means good news. And so they spread the gospel to everybody. They didn't spread it by a strategic plan. God showed them one by one. Preach the word. Go meet people. And so on our last day, we learned that Philip shared the good news with an Ethiopian official who was reading his Bible, seeking God, but he didn't know Jesus. Philip told him, Jesus is the Passover lamb. He sets us free, just like the lamb set them free from Egypt. And so then the Ethiopian got out of his chariot, and he said, I believe in Jesus. Baptize me. And so Philip baptized him. And by the way, 
we have a baptism service here next week. It's going to be glorious, so be sure you come for that. 10 a.m. next week. Then Philip disappeared. He went off to tell more people about Jesus, and the Ethiopian went to Ethiopia. He told the queen. He told the country. And guess what? Ethiopia has one of the oldest churches, thriving communities in the world because of that encounter. Well, that's as far as we got in Summer Jam. And now you know the kinds of things that our kids learn when they're in Sunday school. Aren't they great? Today, we get to learn what happened next. We're going to talk about another New Testament character in our series. In fact, this character wrote so much of the New Testament that our Bibles would be a lot smaller if he wasn't there, if he hadn't turned to Jesus. In the Bible, he has two names. Saul was Hebrew for his Jewish friends, and Paul was Latin for his Roman friends. So some people think it was a change of name by a change of character, but it was more culture and community that changed his name. Saul was one of those religious leaders who made people worried and burdened. And he was also a Roman who made people afraid and was controlling. Remember, both of those groups made it hard for ordinary folk to live in the land. Paul was both, he was a Roman citizen, but he was a deeply devout Jew and a Pharisee. Paul really, really wanted to keep every bit of the law, the Torah, and he wanted control and order in the land. And so, as you can imagine, he didn't like the followers of Jesus at all. They were haphazard about the law, and they made Romans suspicious and edgy. And besides, they declared that Jesus was Lord. Jesus was God. And that was blasphemy. There was only one God, Jehovah. And unlike the Romans, Jews were strict monotheists, and that's the side that Saul was on. Saul put God first. So he wanted to wipe out the Christians. He said, there's no way Jesus is God, and he decided he would do it himself. We read in Acts 9 that Paul wreaked havoc upon the church. It was like he had a blood vendetta against them. He entered and he pillaged and he plundered, and he imprisoned hundreds of Jesus' followers. As you see on the slide, he was there when Stephen, the first martyr, was stoned. Stephen looked to heaven and he saw Jesus shining on the right hand of God. And Saul was there holding the clothes of all the people stoning. Saul couldn't stand how they stood out. He hated Jesus' light shining from them. He despised their good deeds. He despised the fact that they didn't live by every single law. And he didn't believe in Jesus. So he wanted to shut their mouths. Cover your mouth, kids. And now try and say, Jesus is Lord, with your mouth really tightly covered. Very hard to do, isn't it? And that's exactly what Saul wanted to do to all the people who were walking around 
eagerly proclaiming with no fear at all that Jesus was Lord. Why were they unafraid? Because they knew even if they died, they would live forever just like Jesus. So he had a hard time stopping them and it made him really, really mad. The Bible says that he wreaked havoc in the church. This shows us that Saul was both a Jew and a Roman. And then the next slide shows us one other thing about Saul. Saul also had a Greek influence. Greek was the language of the whole world at that time, of the empire. And the Greek philosophy that infiltrated culture, Saul knew all of that. So he was a very learned person. He loved the Bible, he learned the Bible, but he didn't have the light. So one day, after doing tremendous damage to the church in Jerusalem, Saul heard that the gospel of Jesus had spread even further out of the country. It had gone to Damascus. So he got on his horse. Everybody get on your horse. That's it. So different than Jesus. What did Jesus ride on? A donkey, exactly. Saul was on his horse, and he went yelling threats and vengeance so that the word spread ahead of him. Saul is coming. Saul is coming. And the believers in Damascus, what do you think they felt when they heard that? He had devastated the church in Jerusalem. He had been so cruel and so unkind. And now he's coming for us, they said in Damascus. And sometimes we, too, can feel afraid if we think that people are against what we believe. And we try to hide it. So the church there waited they expected deep suffering, but they held on to their faith. And then the most unusual thing happened, and we read it in this chapter. As he rode on that road to Damascus, something happened that was spectacular. Reading together from Acts chapter 9. Saul was still breathe, breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, and he went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, to the Jewish communities in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that means the way of Jesus walking a new road in your life, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, something happened. At the brightest part of the day, high noon, when the sun was up, up, up in the sky, Saul was riding hard, chasing down believers. Everyone got up out of his way. He loved to ride by day because everyone could see him and start quaking in their boots. Kids, show me how afraid you can be. Quaking in your boots. Exactly, that's exactly right. And sometimes we don't even show it on the outside, but we can feel like that at times, even grown-ups. And all of a sudden, as Saul was chasing hard, he was flung to the ground. Kids, pretend that you're falling over. Exactly. Why did that happen? Was it because his horse tripped? No. Was it because he fell asleep while he was riding? No. And it's not either because somebody by the side of the road tripped him with a stick and knocked him off his horse. No. A dazzling light fell from the sky, and it overwhelmed him. What? Who's that? Who's that? Hey, 
Vicky Way. What are you doing up there? Oh, I, well, I was eating my Oreos and listening to the story. Okay. And I was wondering if the light that Saul saw was from my brand new spaceship. Oh, my goodness. I'm so glad that you got your spaceship. And thanks for listening, but I'm afraid it wasn't that light, although you do look pretty bright up there. Oh, it wasn't that light at all. This light was brighter than the sun. Whoa. That's bright. Okay, wait. Keep, how, what could be brighter than the sun? Who could create a light? Like, keep going. I'm listening. Let me grab my Oreos. Oh. Okay. Wow, that was nice he showed up. Isn't it nice to know he's still listening? Oh, my goodness. That's fantastic. So, I'll keep going. What was that light that was brighter than the sun? A satellite, a shooting star, a comet, a beacon. Brighter than any of those was this light. This light was Jesus with no filters. John says, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. That is talking about God's glory when Jesus was among us as a man. But this Jesus that met Paul on the way was Jesus exalted. He wasn't only in human form. He shone the radiance of God. Jesus is the light that gives life to the whole world. Now Saul thought that he had the light. He had the Torah. He had God's law. Surely that was enough light to show people how to live. It was the Bible. He knew it well. Saul had the light of order and dominion. He was a Roman. He lived in a fantastic era, if that's what you wanted. Straight roads were built and people could cross the world. And Saul had the light of learning in his heart. He'd studied for years with the most famous respected teachers. He was making a name for himself, living out that learning. But he didn't count on an encounter from Jesus, the light of heaven who said, my name is Jesus of Nazareth. As Saul lay on the ground, the light spoke to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, asked Saul. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, who you are persecuting. In our prayer, Lynn prayed for people that are even still being persecuted because they love Jesus. Persecute means treat people badly because of who they are or what they believe. And then the voice continued, it's hard for you to fight against the goads. Goads were like pokes to redirect an animal, like a cow or an ox, when you're trying to make it change directions. And this shows that God had been poking Saul, pricking his conscience, showing him that his cruelty was wrong, that he shouldn't be that way that these believers didn't deserve that. God was trying to redirect him, but Saul wouldn't listen. He was like a toddler having a tantrum, except he was a grown-up with a lot of intelligence behind it. You know how it is. No, I'm right, stomping his foot. So God stopped him and took away his sight, took away the distractions. It was a blinding light. Lord, what do you want me to do, asked Saul. 
And in that moment, Saul experienced the conviction of his sin. And he experienced the grace of Jesus' forgiveness who called him forward. Jesus didn't map out his whole future. He just gave the next step. Go into Damascus to a street called Straight. Wait there and I'll show you what's next. So the men led him because he couldn't see a thing. And maybe one of them took his horse along too. And they went into Damascus. Saul, who loved to make strategies and demands, waited in darkness for three days and three nights. Do any of you feel like you're there? You don't know what is ahead. You might want your future mapped out for you, but you can't see a thing beyond the step that you're on. Saul's waiting reminds me of Jesus in the grave for three days and three nights. And when Jesus arose, new light entered the world, and that's what happened to Saul too, because of Jesus. What was it that he saw when he saw Jesus? What changed him so much? Was it a thundering Roman god shooting fire from heaven? No. Was it a legalistic, pharisaic god threatening and judgmental? No. Was it a subtle Greek god just out of reach, not quite within grasp? No. The Jesus that Saul encountered was wildly different from anything he had ever known before. The Jesus that God encountered was full of grace and truth. And Paul wrote later, it is the love of Christ that compels me. You see, Jesus didn't show up to Saul to say, you are bad, get on track. He showed up to say, I love you, Saul, and I have a wonderful plan for your life. Come, follow me. And that's what he did. In the darkness, God showed him what his eyes couldn't see, the way of light, the way of life, the way of suffering, and the way of freedom in Jesus. God showed him that like Jesus, he would suffer, but it would be worth it. Three days later, a knock came on the door. A knock, so knock on the bench in front of you or beside you kids. Knock, knock, knock. And I'm glad you have that outlined there. You can fill in the blanks as you go. A knock came on the door, and Ananias, a disciple, was there. We have that scripture passage too, Acts chapter 9. Ananias was there, a disciple, a follower of Jesus in Damascus. He had been terrified to go and show up to Saul because he knew that Saul was killing Christians. But there he was. God said, I have something for him to do. And so Ananias went to the house and he placed his hands on Saul. And he said, Brother Saul, that takes faith brother Saul. He didn't see any evidence of change except that he was here. 
Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, take off the scales, and he could see. He got up. What did he do? He was baptized. Once again, we see that is the pattern. And after taking some food, he regained strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Talk about a turnaround. Instead of going to the synagogues and killing those who said Jesus was the Son of God, he became one of them. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Saul's eyes were opened and he saw in a whole new way. It reminds me of when I was a young person and I was, had the strategy for my life. I was getting my education. I was in a relationship. I had a job. I was looking towards the future and what I would do in the ordinary pattern of doing things. I loved the Bible. I was a lot like Saul in those ways, except I wasn't wreaking havoc quite as much, I don't think. But maybe I was, I'm not sure. And then, before I made a final commitment into this relationship that I was in, I went home for a summer family reunion. Any of you going to a family reunion this summer or you've been to one? Summers are good times for that and I encourage you. Family reunions can be good for the young people in your lives. So I was at this family reunion and because I'm from a Christian family, on the Sunday morning, which was the final morning and then we were all gonna go home, we had a service in the garden. And we all sat in the garden and my dad was preaching. My dad was a missionary to India for many, 40 years. He was preaching in the garden. I don't know what he said, but what I know was this is what I received. I don't have to perform to please God. I don't have to check the boxes and be good to please God. God just loves me. And all of a sudden, it was really like my eyes were opened in a new way. There I was sitting among the asparagus plants growing on either side of me. My uncle was a market gardener. And there I was, and all of a sudden, the earth seemed browner, and the plants seemed greener, and the sky seemed bluer, and it was like a film had gone off my eyes because love had entered into me and I wasn't so worried about doing all the right things and being in the right places at the right time, at the right stages. How many of you sometimes fall into that trap? But instead, I gave my life more fully to God and I said, take me on your adventure. And he really has. And that's what I invite all of us to do. That's what Saul did. Saul gave up his own plans. And it's not that then he went and sat at home and changed his personality. No, he still went traveling around. He still made a difference. He still had a huge impact. But it was in a different way and for a different motivation. 
Right away the believers saw he was a different man now. And then he was preaching so much that after many days had gone by, the Jews, and he used to be one of them, had a conspiracy to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates to kill him, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket over the wall. Imagine if he was up there and he was hiding in a basket and being lowered down. This is the opposite of Saul, who loved to ride in the daytime so that everybody could see him and could proclaim his glory. This was a humble man who only cared about the glory of Jesus. When he came back to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were terrified of him. They didn't believe that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas, who we heard about a couple of weeks ago, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told about Saul's journey that he had seen the Lord, that the Lord had spoken to him. In Damascus, he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And so Saul stayed with them, moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic leaders, and he had that capacity they tried to kill him. And when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea, sent him off to Tarsus, and then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, the church increased in numbers. Saul was a catalyst for that. Then from there, he went out on many other missions, not missions of destruction, missions of good news, spreading the light of Jesus into Greece, into Turkey, into Italy. He went wherever he could to proclaim the light of Christ. And people responded. Many, many churches started. He would go to a place teach the people, start a church, set up a group, and then move on. Go to the next place, do the same. Go to the next place, do the same. And so then, what did he do to stay in touch? He wrote letters. All of his books, the things that we call books of the New Testament, up to 13 of them, debated by scholars how many Paul wrote, they were all letters. He never wrote a book to share his brilliance. He just wrote letters to show leadership and care and wisdom and insight and theology and rules of behavior, just like we have rules of behavior in Sunday school. Raise your hand if you want to talk. Don't just speak any old time. Follow the pattern. You get one warning, two warnings, and then time out or even take a break. It was similar to that. These types of things are in the letters of Paul. But then he also had the most magnificent theology that could only be experienced by the presence of Jesus. And because so many were new to synagogue gatherings, it used to be that the men would go to the synagogues, discuss and teach. But now women were invited, slaves were invited, Gentiles were invited. It was spreading to everybody because Saul realized the gospel is not just for the legalistic. 
is not just for the controlling. The gospel is for everyone. Many people say Paul was really the founder of the church as we know it, the church around the world. So all that is to say, we owe a lot to this man who was a Jewish religious leader, also a Roman citizen, who persecuted believers and followers of Jesus until he became one of them, who was familiar with Greek ideology but had to get it out of the way so that Jesus' light could shine. He said, though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, if I don't have love, I sound like a clashing symbol. It's not good at all. So in the end, what Paul teaches us is that it's not earthly alliances that matter. It's not checklists or do-good or to-do lists. It's not spreadsheets. It's Jesus that matters. Jesus. Paul said, now that he had learned this, he gave up all of those earthly alliances, Roman, Jewish leader, and he wrote, our citizenship is in heaven. So we don't need to draw so many lines and boundaries. We join Jesus and he makes our way brighter than the sun. And that's how we shine. That's how Michelle shines, reaching out to everybody who crosses her path. Maybe we want that. Maybe we want to get rid of our baggage, of the expectations on us, of our dreary goals, of our illusions of what matters. We want to be part of a community of love and hope. How can we belong to Jesus? And this is our outline. And you can fill it in on your pages if you have it. First, we need to encounter Jesus. We need to meet him in a fresh way. Second, once we meet him, experience conviction. Say, oh, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Receive forgiveness. And then allow Jesus to enter every part of our life immediately. We have to exit one road and we have to enter another way. We can't do both. We can't keep going this way and hope to still be following Jesus this way. We have to entirely rely upon the Holy Spirit to teach us, to guide us. Then we need to express our faith to others. If we're not talking about Jesus, maybe we don't belong as closely to him as we thought we did. We have to explore what the good news means in the world. Where is God at work and how can I be involved in that? There are many ways and it changes through the centuries. Follow that path and then our horizons will expand. Life won't be a small adventure. It will be a ginormous adventure. As I change to be like Jesus, remember, I should expect opposition. Don't be dismayed. That's normal. Jesus had it. Paul had it. We will have it too. I won't, though, just think of myself and have a pity party for myself, I'll reach out and I'll encourage other people. That's what Paul did. Even in prison, he was writing to encourage people to say, I know you're having a hard time, but keep going. God is with you. Read the books of the New Testament and you'll see 
what he wrote. And then finally, he found that whether he lived or he died, Christ was his light, never ending, and that made all the difference. And so he enjoyed it. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, whether I'm laid low or raised up. Sometimes people would look at him and they would say, oh, you must be one of the gods. And he would say, no, Jesus is Lord. And sometimes people would stone him or snakes would bite him. Saul would go traveling on all of these missions and he was shipwrecked three times in flimsy boats. He was hovering out on the wild sea, chaotic, not in any kind of a glamorous place. And he would say, Jesus is my Lord. He was stoned, he was whipped, he was beaten, he was made a public humiliation. And he would say, Jesus is my Lord. Can we say that today? Is Jesus your Lord? Or are you going along in open-eyed blindness, planning out your life, how things should happen? If so, today's the day to stop and let the light of the Holy One fill your mind, fill your soul with his incredible love and say, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today and take me in your way. Today we have a chance to turn our eyes upon Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And we will become more useful on this earth when we do that. If you would like someone to pray with you today, I invite you to come for prayer. Ananias prayed for Paul, and that allowed the Holy Spirit to enter him in an amazing way. Maybe you want that. Dan and Anne will be at the back there, ready to pray with you. You're welcome to go as we sing these next few songs. As we close in now, this part of the service, let's join together in prayer, and then the worship team will come forward. Lord Jesus, thank you that you appear when we need you most. Thank you that his soul was going to wreak havoc even further, that you showed him there was a better way, the way of love, the way of goodness, the way of a power much greater than any Roman power. Lord, thank you that you showed him that we can never be righteous enough by trying to keep the law. And thank you that your love makes us complete. I pray that today you would show us your way and you'd help us to walk in it so we might delight in you. Lead us and shine your light on us as we turn our eyes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.